0: I've been called the songbird of my generation by people who've heard me, that good. On 1080 The Fan. It is a beautiful
1: Sunday today. Driving in, sunglasses on, just happy. Nice nice sunshine out there. Roads were pretty clear and empty because people are at home enjoying some time at home and sleeping probably. And it was a, it's a beautiful day today. It's nice to be here.
2: And it's the first time in a while that we've had a, a nice Sunday. You know, this 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 weekend was actually pretty solid.
1: Yeah, so I'm back. Hi. Uh, like I said a couple weeks ago, it's going to be a bit inconsistent for me here the, the next few weeks. i got a couple of trips coming up, including next weekend. But I'm here today, and we will uh, start talking some NFL for you as we are getting to that time. Where I think the hype is starting to kind of uh, build a little bit. We'll also talk some college football today. And uh, you're starting to see some of the players named to preseason award watch lists. And that gets you thinking about the upcoming season, which starts a little bit sooner than the NFL. So today will probably be a pretty football heavy show for you guys out there. Text us at the Better You e Today text line at five five three zero five. This is Sports Sunday with Mike and Rashad, Jesse Osmond behind the glass as well. You can find us on social media at Mike Lynch twenty seven on Twitter is me, Rashad's at TaylorMade five zero three, Jesse's at Jesse Osmond A S Z M A N. I was out last week because I had uh, friends in town visiting, and uh, one of them was leaving basically during the show, so I didn't want to be like, goodbye, okay, going to go do the show now while you go to the airport and. Go leave by yourself. <laughs> so I was like, "All right, I can't." Because I usually when I have friends visiting, I'll come do the show anyway because it's in the morning. And they're like, "Ah, it's way early anyway. We wouldn't be getting up." Like I couldn't do it last that's, week.
2: That's awful, nice of you, Lynch. Because I'm like, "All right, bro, you gotta ride. You gonna get there, man? Text me when you when you touch down. Let me know how it goes. You're much much nicer than me,
1: but uh, uh just trying. Yeah, to be that's good. what I. That's what I love about you, bud. <laughs> trying to be a good friend. But uh, the thought that I had. So they were here from thursday morning until sunday night one of them did leave sunday night and uh as much as i enjoy having people visit and as much as you have a lot of fun and do things you normally wouldn't do like on a weekday for example on a thursday we went out to hood river which is not not something i would normally do on a thursday it is exhausting hosting people day drinking Oh, yeah, there was a lot of day drinking. Yeah, drugs. something we don't typically do unless the homies are here. Exactly, or it's a random weekend day. Mm-hmm. Does does day drinking count on the weekends?
2: Uh, I think you're supposed to start drinking at, like,
1: 11, 11
2: 12. <laughs> See? You know, great minds. you know, we, wavelength. We, yeah, we we have a pretty good understanding of when you're supposed to start drinking. Jesse, 11's a pretty solid time to do some Saturday, Sunday drinking, yeah? Sure, yeah. I mean, yeah, actually, when okay. football starts. Yeah. So can I ask a question? 9 a.m., let's go. Do, like, mimosas and Bloody Marys count as... Morning drinking. Yes. Well, yeah. I'm just alcohol. making sure there's there certain people. There's certain pe- people that feel like that's not like a real drink.
3: It's well, almost like a it's it's almost like a side. Are like these fruit. people alcoholics? <laughs> like it's, I mean it's quite a Bloody possible. Mary has possible. quite a bit of alcohol in it typically if you have a good bloody Mary. Also bloody Marys um, are disgusting. So I mean mimosas so if that's, are literally basically I mean it's it's like yeah, well, we don't look down at people for day, day drinking
2: with you know. For if, if I were to have a shot of whiskey at nine o'clock, ten o'clock in the morning, everybody's like, oh my god, what well, are you doing? It's, it's heavy, on, it's hard on the stomach. However, if I were to have two Bloody Marys are saying, at eight, oh 8 o'clock my with my yes. with my omelet or whatever, everybody would be like, oh, that's just a that's just the normal. It's that's well, normal, right? It's like,
3: so I mean, it's it's kind of it's it's the way that you're treating your body that time of day, right? Like like you're easing. Your body into having a little bit more alcohol with something like a bloody mary, which is obviously really sweet, or something that's really savory, like or I mean a bloody mary that's savory or a, uh, the know, the foofy mimosa. But either way, you are Why drinking. Why is the mimosa foofy, but the bloody mary isn't? the The bloody mary's savory. Bloody the, mary's the- a ma- uh, like off. That's a, it's like it's a tomato, tomato juice. It's, it's celery salt. It's it's pepper. Well, yeah, it's all the things, like, Tabasco stick, sauce, Tabasco depending sauce. on where you, where you are. Like, like yeah, The that is uh, not foofy. That that's a, a savory drink in the morning. It's often considered also the hangover fix, right? Mm. Um, but at the same little, time, little hair of the dog there in the morning. Yeah, I mean, it's how you're easing your way into drinking, though. You're like you start off with that, and then you you. So what if you work your way in
2: What if you just don't like? Like, lucky for me, I like love Bloody Marys, so I'm good. But if you're one of those people that doesn't, I'll just no, I'm just take a Bud Light. Give me a Budweiser. What? Budweiser? <laughs> Nine o'clock in the morning? Like, oh, now I'm an alcoholic. But you have vodka in your in your glass. So
1: I guess my question, and again, so the reason I don't like Bloody Marys is mostly because I don't like tomato juice at all. So, so no red. I don't beer either. For you. I don't really either though. No, I don't really like tomatoes uh, that much. I like tomato sauce, but like generally, I don't love tomatoes, and I've tried it before, and I don't like Tabasco, so it's just all everything that's in it is just disgusting to me. But a mimosa feels like a breakfast drink because you have orange juice, right? Sure, there's champagne in there, but orange juice is a breakfast drink, correct?
3: So, so gin and juice would work. Orange Hold juice on. and gin.
1: So orange juice is a breakfast drink, right? Well, you got the mm-hmm.
3: Greyhound, which is vodka and, and um, grape uh, grapefruit juice, and then you also do the gin and grapefruit or the gin and and OJ is tomato juice considered breakfast? Ooh,
1: that's my question. Why did the Bloody Mary become a breakfast drink? Because I understand the mimosa, but the tomato juice doesn't scream th- breakfast.
2: To well, me. I mean, I think so. I mean, like my grandparents, you know, used to love tomato juice, and that was one of those things. Typically, they would have in the morning. Very seldom, my grandma would go and get, uh, uh, excuse me, tomato juice at like
1: four in the afternoon. Ooh, or so that, like that that even broadens the question: Is juice? A morning drink exclusively when you get to be an adult. As a kid, you have juice all the time, but I only have juice in the morning. I'll have a glass of orange juice. Well, that's the only time during the day that I'll have. Depends juice. on the
2: juice so, because you can't drink Snapple in the morning. However, orange juice, apple juice, grape you can juice. Drink
1: Snapple in the morning? Why not? Well, because it's not real juice. It's man. It's it's fruit. You're
2: telling cocktail. me you don't drink
3: a, a nice glass of lemonade on a in the the middle of a hot day? Like you're telling me that that's something you you wouldn't do? Like. Is lemonade juice? Yes.
2: Yeah, absolutely.
3: Hmm. You can also do it. Like, I I drink OJ after I work out all the time. (laughs) Like, I bombard my body with with those wonderful vitamins and nutrients in OJ. Um, But going back to your – the difference is a mimosa, a morning drink. See, here's the thing. This is where I'm thinking, like, we have a problem here in America where we like to have the sweet in our breakfast, Right. Where yeah, other got, places, like they syrup. might have, yeah, we like to have syrup and blueberries and strawberries and whipped cream and all this stuff. Like, that's, it's supposed to, supposedly it was the most healthy meal of the day. Now they're starting to do studies. Maybe it's not. Maybe you should skip breakfast, that kind of stuff. But, but the fact is, is that other places, let's, you, you, uh like, like you ever you ever had Chili killies in the morning. So good. Extremely savory. Nothing sweet about it. Are you going to want to, what are you going to want with that? Are you going to want something like a mimosa? Probably not. Or are you you going to want something like a Bloody Mary? You can get the sweet and savory combo, though, which helps cut some of the savory. Uh, I mean, I don't see people typically getting the Bloody Mary who's getting a big stack of like pancakes. I think that's somebody who's more of getting an omelet or something like that, right? Mm So it's the difference of what kind of breakfast you're you're doing pairing, right? This is like pairing a wine to your meat or to your fish or this is this is pairing your morning drink to the type of meal that you're going to have are you going to have a sweet or are you going to have well, a savory see, meal well see for me
2: I'm, I don't like I'm not a big fan of sweet anything like that sweet drinks like I mean I like champagne but only like brut and stuff like that I'm not you a big like fan it, you like it dry. yeah you know what I'm saying I'm not a big fan of like um what's the uh prosecco or any any type of like really sweet kind of wine or m- uh, moscato all that stuff gross but you don't like dessert wine, not yeah, really. It's got us so good, but you I don't don't like white wine. Apparently, most it's it's most okay. White wine. It's it's. I mean, it's okay. It's not my fave. You don't but like Riesling? No, absolutely no. But you know what I'm saying. I will absolutely do a, a Bloody Mary. No, I won't do any whiskey in the morning. I have a buddy that's like, man, hey man, let's take a shot. And I was like, that's bro, it's 10:30. Like, why are we taking a shot right now? No, we can wait until 12, and then we can take some shots. But I,
1: I am personally someone who almost never has any of those morning drinks. Like, I like mimosas, but I almost never order it cuz to me I'm like
2: w- I don't I don't see this the isn't point sex of sex in the city okay we don't need to, we're not going to be ordering a lot of mimosas that's and p- apple martinis Vegas Jesse
3: will definitely go out and get himself a bloody mary oh. in the morning Jesse it's Vegas yeah exactly There's well and that's
1: well
2: Vegas no Jesse
3: exist. is not yeah. well Vegas Jesse is vacation Jesse cuz that's where he likes to go on vacation is to Vegas but it, like if I go to the beach that's i I'll, I'll be going next weekend I'll have a bloody mary to Vegas you know or I'll be so, there in 2 weeks well now I'm just going to go have to book a trip. But, but that's that's the thing. It's like, what if, if I'm just, like, around town, uh, maybe I'll have a mimosa or something. But I'm, I'm probably not going to drink in the morning. Maybe I'll start drinking in the afternoon with a beer. If I'm on vacation, yeah, that's, that's when I'm definitely breaking out the Bloody Mary. And I'm going to break out a Bloody Mary over a mimosa almost every time, so. And I, I have a more of a sweet palate over a savory palate, but the Bloody Mary in the morning is just it's very refreshing. There's a lot of vitamins and minerals and everything in there to help get you back going after a, a hard, hard oh, night. Yeah. 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 Just
1: personally, I don't drink that kind of stuff in the morning. My, my first drink, like I said, is usually like an 11 o'clock beer with an early lunch or something. That's mm-hmm. if I'm if I'm day drinking, that's the start of my day drinking normally there so that, that went off to a tangent i yeah. did not expect it yeah. to go Mic- mickey's
2: gets me going right around 11 30 <laughs>
1: you know nice uh, 40 of mickey's did not expect that tangent but here we are hopefully you feel smarter because of it uh so let's get into some of the football stuff for the rest of the show where do you want to start Rochelle we got i want to talk some college football i want to look a little bit ahead to the oregon ducks football season auburn first week of the year uh they're going to do college game day there that was announced this week uh, we could do the Madden rating special that was on e- E60 today, which I thought was fascinating. We could talk the Tyreek Hill stuff. Uh, you wanted to talk a little fantasy football too. Where do you want to start? Oh, uh, we can start. We can start with college. Why not? That's typically college?
2: what we do when we start Football Sunday. So we can start with college.
1: Let's take a little look ahead to the upcoming Oregon football season and maybe a peek at that Auburn game as well. That's next here on Sports Sunday on Tending to The Fan.
0: Weekends were made for sports. This is Sports Sunday with Mike and Rashad on 1080 The Fan.
1: Let's dive into some football here on Sports Sunday. We're about a month away or so from turning into Football Sunday for the entirety of the fall and the winter. And we've been talking a lot of basketball in the last month or two as we've had the NBA Finals, the playoffs, the Blazers run, the offseason, the draft.
2: Shout out to the NBA for making it interesting this you know this summer, though.
1: Really? I mean, I was saying this. I don't know if I said this on the air or not, but to me, the NBA offseason is now the most interesting offseason.
2: I think this was the best offseason in any sport that I've possibly ever seen.
1: You mean singular offseason? Yes, off absolutely. I, I agree. So, yeah, shout out to them for, for keeping it interesting for us in the dog days of summer. And, you know, now, now we're starting to get into the football stories again. You're starting to see more stuff popping up. You know, some teams – did their or all teams did their voluntary mini camps that aren't so voluntary anymore? And uh, there's some stories that popped out of there, and there's been guys who are annoyed at their contracts. Melvin Gordon is going to hold out until he gets a new one. Ezekiel Elliott says he's going to hold out until he gets a new one. So Julio, what?
2: Julio Jones oh. has been, you Julio. know. I
1: thought you said Leo. I was, well, like- I was. like, who is Leo?
2: But no, what Julio is, you know, also, uh, they're they're in com- having talks about an extension or you know, kind of. And Julio up. Mariota, another guy that, you know, we haven't really talked about. But uh, I think Tennessee is finally, you know, talking about committing to him, at least for the year or something. But, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of guys. This is going to be
1: a huge year for Mariota, which we'll get to at some point in the next few weeks because that is going to be a big point locally for a lot of Oregon fans and, and and people who just root for Mariota otherwise because you watch them play here because – He and Winston are both at that same point now where they're they're at the end of their contracts and neither of them have panned out to be what we thought they were going to be. And people keep giving Mariota more benefit than, uh, Winston. But in reality, neither has played well.
2: I mean, I, I think it's for, for Winston, it's still some maturity issues, you know, for Jameis. Uh, But also we've both acknowledged this on the show, but Dirk Cutter was not a good coach. You know, he, he was not somebody that was able to lead the charge for Tampa Bay. Um, Mariota is somebody that really kind of had the, uh, Alex Smith, you know, thing going on where he just had a new offensive coordinator and a new coach almost every year that he'd been in Tennessee. So every single time he got ready to learn a new system, it was kind of, they had the rug pulled from underneath them and then he had to start from scratch. So, but yet still, he still managed to make it to the playoffs a couple times. I think he's made a, a pro bowl, you know, a couple, a couple times. So Mariota has had a much better career than Jameis, I think whenever you win a Heisman, though, you already have a lot more expectation, you know, put on top of your shoulders just because you were the best player in college. You're expected to be one of the one of the great players in the NFL.
1: So we'll talk a bit more about that in the coming weeks as we get closer and closer to the NFL season. But let's start with a little college ball here today. As we're starting to see some of those preseason award watch lists coming out, Justin Herberts made a couple of them. Uh you saw Troy Dye make one. You've seen Jake Hansen make one, Jacob Breeland make one. So there's a bunch of these lists coming out, which kind of starts getting you warmed up. Uh, I mean, personally, I read a great preview article from Bruce Feldman on Syracuse football, which got me fully pumped up for the season to start yesterday. So I'm I'm getting into football mode now, and that's very, very exciting. I, I kind of, for the first time in a long time, really enjoyed the break from football. You know, normally there's this anticipation once you hit maybe like April, and you're like, okay, 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 football needs to come back. I kind of enjoyed it up until this point. I was, I was happy to take a step back from it, and now I'm amping up and ready to go. So let's start with the Ducks, who have probably the biggest game in the country in week one Absolutely. against Auburn, which will be on ESPN game day. They'll be down in Fort Worth, and it's going to be the primetime ABC game as well on that first Saturday. And I think the most interesting part about this Oregon team at this point early in the season or early in the preseason is – The expectations and where we should be expecting Oregon to finish. Last year was nice, but you want to be able to see Cristobal and Arroyo do it again. Arroyo, the key there as the offensive coordinator. And, you know, there's a lot of high expectations. They had an amazing recruiting class coming in. You've got one of the best quarterbacks in the country coming back. But can they build off last season and turn this into a Pac-12 winning team Or are they still maybe a year off from that just because it's hard really early when you start coaching a team to get your whole system in there, get it all working? And you're in a tough conference in the Pac-12, especially in the Pac-12 North, that is going to make it hard to win every game in conference during the season as well.
2: Yeah, I think the Ducks are, I think they're primed for a great season. You know, we got to remember, while this is Crystal Ball's third, second second season, second second season, a lot of these are still his guys. You know, a lot of these guys are the ones that he helped Taggart recruit to Oregon. Remember, one of the things that we've kind of uh, really given him a lot of respect for is the fact that, man, he's been a great recruiter and he's known uh, throughout college football as one of the great recruiters. So a lot of these kids that he's had have been his. And so he hasn't had to go back and, you know, kind of go get his guys. A lot of them are right there. And then I think the Ducks are going to be one of the best teams uh, in the country. Now, will they finish top five, top seven, Man, who knows? But ESPN, as I read this article on Ducks territory uh, by Kevin Wade, ESPN has them favored in almost every game this season. Their computer has the Ducks favored to win almost every game this season. So just not against Auburn. Just not against Auburn. And I think they, they were projected to lose two games of the 11 that they'll end up playing. Man, that's an awesome season. you know. And I mind you, that's not what you want because, of course, you want to go undefeated to make it to the that final four or final six or whatever they're going to try to do over the next little bit but, yeah, I think the Ducks are right there to, to compete for uh, a spot in one of the bigger bowl games at
1: the end of the season. They are at Stanford, at Washington, at USC, at Arizona State in conference. So, tough road games: Stanford, UW, and USC, even although they've been a little bit down the last few years. And I don't fully trust Clay Hilton. But the, the thing about Oregon this year that I think gives a lot of fans hope, and I think a lot of analysts hope, too, is... So yeah, you've got a bunch of guys returning. Mm-hmm. There's, I want to say like 75% of your starters are back this year, including the most important Justin Herbert. But what I think the most important part is, is that your offensive line is loaded. You've got one, two, three, four redshirt seniors on the offensive line, Shane Lemieux, Jake Hansen, Dallas Warmack, and Calvin Throckmorton. And you've got, the gargantuan Penny Sewell left tackle sophomore who came in last year as a freshman and dominated before he got hurt and, and came back a little bit later in the year. I mean, if you have an offensive line, that's this good. Sure. They've got some inexperience of wide receiver or some question marks at wide receiver. Uh, sure. You know, your running backs are a little bit younger. You got CJ, Verdell, although he played well last year, you got Troy Die, Travis's brother. I said, Troy earlier, I meant Travis died for the linebacker. I mean, flip that. I was right. Troy dies right. the linebacker. Yeah. Travis dies the wide receiver, the running back. Uh, but you've got a little bit of a younger defense this year, too. Uh, Kayvon Thibodeau expected to be the starter right away as a true freshman. Having that offensive line be your sturdy core in front of the best player on your team and your quarterback, I think is going to do wonders for them this year. And that is 100% Mario Cristobal's uh hands-on work on this team absolutely he was building an elite offensive line he was an offensive lineman he was recruiting bigger guys than have ever played here and recruiting guys who could play at the speed that he wants to play and at this point although not all these guys are his guys obviously he's kind of molded them to be the offensive line he wants and that's going to be key
2: it's an sec acc mindset go out there and get the big guys up front and then go from there build around that and at this point man when you have asked the dallas cowboys when you have a legit offensive line, like you can you can make up for kind of subpar quarterback play a lot of the time. You can make up for running backs that are kind of knuckleheads because you have a, such a solid uh, in, uh, front front group. So I mean I think I think the Ducks are in a great spot, and the one thing they have is outside of you know uh, Thibodeau, they have a lot of guys that have been there, understand what they're doing at this point, probably still feel the burn of you know, not being as good as they should have been last year. Although I think a lot of us were impressed with how they made the jump and they went up, what, eight wins last year? Eight wins last year. And they won the bowl game. And the year before you had, what was it, four? How many wins the year before? It
3: was like five or six. Yeah,
2: you know, it was somewhere around. So, I mean, you go from, okay, we're just, you know, happy to be here to now we're competitive and winning eight games. This should be the season where they take that step forward. Now, if they can beat Auburn, which I don't, I mean, just I don't think any of us see that happening. i don't see why not i mean i don't see
1: why not i think that's going to be a really even game yeah and we can get to this too but playing auburn week one is better than playing them week two that's good because that's i mean it's also the same you can say the same for auburn playing oregon week one but i think you don't allow the big team to get fully comfortable and acclimated against you know an fcs low low tier team you jump in right away and say here's our best shot right away let's go what do you got
2: yeah and i guess i'm looking through things of the. I guess traditional Oregon, you know, teams as far as uh, being small and quick and being guys that are just going to go out there in that spread system and just try to beat you with their speed. Uh, if you look at the team, man, this is a much different, you know, Oregon team as, as they played last year. You know, they're, they're much more hard-nosed. They're going to pound it up the middle. You know, they're they're more of a traditional kind of NFL team, you know, as far as the offenses they run. As opposed to that spread offense, man, get all my fast guys out there and beat you with bubble screens and really deep passes. Well,
3: when when Chip got here, you know that that was more of the norm here in the in the Pac-12, mm-hmm. right? Like uh, Chip changed things up. One, we, Oregon always had a hard time going up against the USC's, the Alabamas, the Oklahomas of the world, mostly in part to their offensive line being inadequate to deal with the big men in the trenches for these big name programs. So Chip Kelly comes in. He, he com- devises a scheme that it, it, I don't know if it was meant like it definitely wasn't meant to change the way college football was played. It was just meant to make Oregon competitive with the pieces that they had. Right. So with that came name brand recognition, not just locally here in the northwest, but nationally. What happened with that? It brought better recruits in, better recruits uh, meant better offensive linemen. Chip Kelly leaves, we get a guy like Mario Cristobal from the SEC who understands the power of having strong trench play, builds an offensive line in the brand of, like, an Alabama, which we couldn't get over past these teams in the playoff. Why? Because we just didn't have that. Just weren't big enough. Big big enough to to take on two of these teams in a row, right? Once, you got a 50-50 puncher's chance. Twice in a row, it, you're you're basically not going to get over that, right? So so you bring in Mario Cristobal. Now the entire Pac-12 is running the spread, right? You're even looking at USC's running the spread. What's now? Nobody's prepared to to defend that old school uh, football win in the trenches. Your defense is young but talented, and the nice thing about that is you're going to give them opportunities to rest because you're going to control the pace of play on the offensive side of the ball. And well, you, I, I
1: think you are seeing Jesse too. The favorites in the
3: conference are
1: not the spread teams. Exactly, nope. Washington, Oregon, Utah, and Stanford—all teams that still run or have always been running uh, older school style, almost offenses, power eye, you know—and teams that control the pace of the game a little bit more because. At, at, you're right. Almost everybody picked up the spread Oregon started it, right? They started off the, yep. the buzz of that kind of an offense and every other team in the country, it felt like for the most part, tried to pick up some form of it to various degrees of success. And some teams are still doing it to various degrees of success. But in a conference where everyone went small, going big is going to be huge.
3: It is. It's going to be huge. And it gives Oregon that advantage just for like that young defense. Right. And it, if it, it gives a guy like uh Herbert Great ability to run the play action, get open receivers, which he had plenty of last year. Let's 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 not forget they that. He had everything. lots of open receivers, and that's it. They dropped everything. If they don't drop everything this year, that eight win team last year might have been a nine or ten win team, right? Like that that's the difference. And so the ability to take a lot of pressure off of it with a great offensive line, which was beat up last year. If it stays healthy, you're gonna be able to use those talented running backs, get control of the line of scrimmage and run play action, which is going to get you those open receivers. It's there's, there's a lot of talent and a lot of ability. It's just to me, the biggest question mark is your offensive coordinator, Mario Cristobal.
1: Well, that's where we're going to get to next. You, You set it up perfectly for my tease there, Jesse. That all sounds great on paper, but last year, your biggest concern as an Oregon duck fan was what your offensive coordinator. Guess who's still there your offensive coordinator. Is anything going to change? We'll talk about that next, but first, Jesse sports.
0: Weekend sports with a difference. This is Sports Sunday with Mike and Rashad on 1080 The Fan.
1: 9.35 Sunday morning. It's beautiful outside. Hopefully you're out and about enjoying the weather, we're talking some football all show long today. We got some NFL coming up after this segment, but wanted to get into the question of the offensive coordinator of the Oregon Ducks and whether or not you believe that Marcus Arroyo has what it takes to push this Ducks team higher than they finished last year with eight wins and a bull win in a really ugly game. Um, the, the way that he ran his offense last year was kind of head-scratching. It was very, very vanilla. It was very safe. And for fans that are used to a team that runs exotic offenses or at least runs simple plays with many, many options that leads to difficult kind of routes to read for defenses, watching the offense last year was pretty shocking sometimes clicking on all cylinders it was incredible right stanford first half that was the best half they played all year oregon did and still lost that game in overtime but that first half was amazing the washington game really really great win but generally watching the team it just felt like it was gonna be the same run first down every single time Uh, We talked about the receivers dropping balls, but it just—it never felt like the offense was adjusting to what the defense was throwing at it. It just felt like, here's our game plan. It's the same every single week, and it's not working. And having Arroyo come back, which was a question, I think a lot of fans thought maybe they would make a change after last year. Having Arroyo still be the offensive coordinator, I think is going to give a lot of fans pause, despite all the hype of the team and the offensive line, and Herbert in his last year is... Is it all going to matter if the offensive play calling sucks?
2: I mean, I th- I'm think i one of those people that I'm on the other side of the fence. Um, I actually like a Arroyo. Um, I think he actually did a really good job in his first year as the offensive coordinator for the Ducks. The one thing we were just talking about is the fact that these exotic offensive offenses, the Ducks aren't doing that anymore. Now they're, they're more of a power team with the big boys up front, and you have a group of great running backs for the most part that you can give the ball to. We forget this, and I don't know if people know this. Do you know the Ducks were second in scoring in the Pac-12 last year? Second. So for an offensive coordinator who just starting in for a boring offense that's super vanilla, second in scoring in the Pac-12 last year. And this is with a bevy of injuries to a bunch of receivers. This is with the, some injuries to the offensive line. This is with all the uh, not having – We Jesse was just saying, like people were dropping stuff openly all the time. All that being said, second in the Pac-12 in scoring last year. So as far as offense, he did everything he was supposed to do. And if we look back at those games that we mentioned, I think it was was the Washington State game that was right there, and they just they were sloppy in the beginning. And if they'd have played better in the first half, they win that game. The Stanford game, I mean, if they if he just runs out of bounds, then that game is over. You know, he doesn't fumble the ball, and the game is over. Oregon wins, and now we're talking about a team that has ten wins as opposed to the eight. You know, after the bowl game, so I think a royal he it's. We have to blame someone. You know, whenever you don't get the results that you're looking for, we're not going to blame Cristobal because I think right now everyone loves Mario Cristobal. When Willie Taggart left, he was the one that stayed and rallied the troops and said, man, you know what, guys, we can do this. Stay with me and we'll make something happen. And they were a better team. And so I think you look at Mario bringing that kind of that Dade County, Miami feel uh, to his team and everybody kind of loves that. So you have to blame someone, right? Like we won't talk about the fact that the defense was just meh last year and couldn't keep their team in the games it has to be the offense and the offensive coordinator we're so used to seeing the ducks put up 72 points by the third quarter
1: well but the thing with the defense is we saw change this offseason right i mean you you had a disgruntled defensive coordinator yeah and now you have andy in from boise state who on paper and everyone talked about was in a great hire absolutely great hire to help fit this team but the defense was super young and a defensive coordinator last year who just didn't want to be the the coach anymore. So got lazy and probably stopped trying exactly as hard as he, as he used to be trying. So the reason that people are concerned about the offense and I, I, it's kind of funny to me, you saying the the second most points in the PAC 12 kind of feels like you're reading a press release sent by the Oregon ducks about retaining Marcus Arroyo. Oh no, it was
2: actually an interview with, uh, I heard like a, like a month ago with uh you know
1: another guy another right station. it was just the way you said yeah. it it's like that would be the positive spin to it but sure the numbers were good but the numbers don't tell the whole story watching the team something was amiss right i mean you've sure there are other factors to this but you had one of the best quarterbacks in the country looked like he was handcuffed the entire season and that wasn't all just cuz his receivers were dropping passes it was because the play calling didn't allow for him to be making those tough throws and leading the team down the field into great situations. And I hope that internally, although externally they're, they're saying all the right things and being positive about Arroyo and all that kind of stuff. But I hope internally they had very serious meetings about where the play calling should improve and where it should get a little bit more complex or, you know, where you want to just be the power eye team. If you, I guess if that's the case, but you have Justin Herbert. You gotta utilize him correctly. We had a text earlier today that said it's worried about the coaches and the underutilization of Justin Herbert. It's his last year. I mean, he's projected potentially to be the number one pick in the draft this coming year. Use him like that. But I think and I've, when we talk about it,
2: we didn't. He didn't have a playmaker offensively. Like, who was his best receiver? Who was the guy that could get separation and make a play? Or you know, when the ball is thrown up there, you can count on him to at least have a chance. You didn't have one of those guys. There is no Jeff Mayo on this team. There is no Dwayne Stanford on this team. There's a lot of guys that that are Stafford on this team. There's there's a lot of guys that aren't there. You know,
3: these playmakers that you're so used to the Ducks having on the outside. Like, who was that last year for them? It was Dylan Mitchell. I mean, Dylan, D- D- but that's the thing is is you had Dylan Mitchell and nobody else. And so you you need a Dylan Mitchell and then you need other guys to be a supporting cast. That's that's the problem. You can't you can't have one guy, right? You
2: can't. And you can't. And that's and that's kind of my thing. You know, with with having one guy, with having a a, a bevy of receivers that no one really, you know, knows about. Which is which was different for the Ducks because you're used to having these really speedy guys on the outside of, of, you know, and those weren't there. Herbert still had a solid season, and the Ducks were still as far as. Yards and as far as points, man, the Ducks were literally right there with all the other good teams in the Pac-12. They had some great wins in the year. They won eight games. Like they lost what four games on the season? Was it four? I can't it remember. if They played yeah, twelve. Eight yeah. Yeah. Four. yeah, yeah. So I mean, I'm I, I'm looking at this from a, a a little bit of a different lens, just because, man, I'm one of those people that gives people the benefit of the doubt, and really at this point, with everything that Arroyo had to work with, the fact that they weren't this spread team anymore that's going to put up seventy something points a game. And he was still able to be effective. Now, are, are there ways to improve? Man, absolutely. There's room for improvement. But again, he doesn't. Fan, the, the, the ball isn't fumbled against Stanford. Then the Ducks win. You know, and the game is over. And I don't know if the Ducks are ten and two. If we're still having the same conversation about
1: Arroyo and his play calling, I still think we would. And that's my whole point: is the numbers are good. Yes, they won eight games, but there was just something wrong. You could see it when you watched every game. There was just something that felt off about the offensive play calling. We got this text that said, if it doesn't improve, they'll win eight games again and then regress next year. So And then the coaching staff will be in trouble, which you don't want because you like the recruiting and you like Mario Cristobal and you like some of the guys that he's brought in. Uh, eight wins again is not bad, right? That will, would probably be the minimum expectation for a lot of fans this year. But without Herbert what does this play calling mean right how much does Herbert make this play calling look way better than it is because he's Justin Herbert and you still felt like he wasn't being utilized correctly last year so he leaves you're unsure of who the quarterback's going to be next year that's where the the texts are saying the regression is going to come because you'll win eight games because you got Justin Herbert and a great offensive line but guess what four of those offensive linemen are graduating Justin Herbert's graduating what's going to happen so it's got you got to see your massive improvements now, or oh, else yeah. I don't think there's going to be much of a chance if the if the offense is, is the same with the next set of guys. And,
2: and so far, it looks like those improvements have happened. You know, the Ducks, again, as far as recruiting are getting the guys that they want to get, you obviously got the number one player in the country as far for, uh, on the defensive end. So, I mean, they're getting the guys. We just have to wait and see. And I think it's one of one of those things. Yes. I think the offense has to improve because, like the the said, there was too many opportunity opportunities on first and second down, third down. The Ducks couldn't convert. You know how many three and outs did we see from the Ducks? Yes, those parts have to improve. But I also think that Justin Herbert, to your point, man, he has to he has to have some help.
3: Well, your your best returning receiver this this is and this is, just kind of keep pounding the same problem is your best returning receiver is Jalen Red with thirty eight receptions, four hundred thirty three yards, and five touchdowns, and a myriad of drops. And a myriad of he drops. He was one of the worst last he year. He was one of the worst ones, but he is, he's your number one receiver returning because everybody else after that, like, yeah, uh, uh, Johnny Johnson, uh, 17 receptions, four of them were touchdowns. But outside, it's just one touchdown, two touchdowns. Who's the uh, Penn
1: State uh, guy everyone's raving about? Yeah. Uh, What's his name? I, I can't remember off the top is of my some, head. It's like Johnson or something similar, but uh, uh, people are raving about him in camp saying he's really, really good.
3: Is, is, the, is the Herbert to Herbert you know, a connection going to materialize because he wanted to, you know, Justin wanted to stay one more year and play with his brother at tight end. Um, so the, I guess there's the one thing that I think is interesting is we have, or as in Oregon has um, recruited really well for several years now. And so, yes, we're going to lose a lot of guys these next couple of years, but I think they have put themselves in a good position to replace those guys it's just it, it really is up for um you you have to do it's up to the coaching staff at this point you've got guys that have immense talent we've already graded these guys as kids coming out of high school with immense talent now it's up to the coaching staff to take these kids find out what their strengths are find out what their weaknesses are and build upon both so that they're more of a well-rounded is like these these all these wide receivers that are dropping balls get them in front of jug machines all summer long you know they need to be catching balls catching balls catching balls catching balls and if they're dropping them then you need to give opportunities to younger guys that maybe are a little bit hungrier and a little bit more focused because at this point it is all on the coaching staff the talent's there you you brought it in you you need to teach them the Xs and Os and you need to bring them along like the, you need to show improvement from year to year to year and that right now is going to be number 1 wide receiver. And I think number two is going to be in your secondary because you have such a young secondary. Um, what are you going to do to Although put them in good young, positions?
1: But they have experience now yes, because they
3: all played last year. That's
1: the, that's the best part about the secondary is last year they were young and you knew they were young. They still made some good plays, but it was obvious. You got a whole year under your belt. And what's exciting about that is with some of these guys, not all of them, because you got a couple of juniors already there, you got two or three years left of them improving and you're already excited about them improving too. But yeah, so there's a little Oregon duck talk. We'll talk plenty more college football the rest of the month coming up before the season starts. We'll get into some beaver stuff the next couple of weeks as well. Trying to see how Jonathan Smith improves on a rough year one with the Beavs. Although offensively, they were much improved defensively. It was whew, something really bad, something fierce. So we'll talk about that probably in, a, in the next couple of weeks or so, but let's get into some NFL for the rest of this show. And Rashad brought this up, and because this next segment is normally the segment we do this, let's give you a little primer on a little fantasy football and who you expect to be an impact player. I know Jesse's been reading up and researching already. I haven't. <laughs> Not at all. I just looked, uh, looked at the projections for the first time and went, oh, okay. So we'll give you a little preview of who's uh, projected to do well and maybe some strategies to build your team this year as we're going to see more and more running backs by committee, maybe? So let's talk about that next before we get into the Tyreek Hill stuff and Madden ratings, all in the second hour with Hater to Love It. This is Sports Sunday on The Fan.
0: Weekends were made for sports. This is Sports Sunday with Mike and Rashad on 1080 The Fan.
1: One last segment here in the first hour and during the NFL season when we have the 9 to 11 show the 9:30 and 9:45 segments are dedicated to helping you the listener with our fantasy football advice and any questions that you have start to questions we will answer them as best as we can and I mean we don't always get them right but I think we've got a decent track record of helping you guys out and generally we are I shouldn't say in agreement, but generally we have good hot opinions about which players you should be starting. So with the season about a month away with drafts coming up, probably for some of you in a couple of weeks, because some, some guys start drafting early August, which is a little silly, but Hey, you do you, um, let's give a little, uh, quick preview of some fantasy football stuff before we start kind of diving into the nitty gritty at a nitty gritty of it. If I could speak, uh, next month. So I was looking briefly and, I think it's always kind of been this way, but there's been a switch in the last few years in this in this philosophy. But I think this year picking a top elite running back is going to be that much more important because so many teams are going to be doing the running back by committee situation that if you could somehow get your hands on one of the top five or six guys, a guy who's going to be a workhorse back, who is going to get you points consistently every single week, is going to be massively important. If you can get... If it's not a keeper league, if you're just drafting straight up, if you can get your hands on Barkley or Ezekiel Elliott or Christian McCaffrey or Le'Veon Bell or Alvin Kamara, I mean, that's going to be a really important move for you because everybody else has question marks about health or performance, and you might be stuck with a bunch of guys who are second-tier running backs and plugging and playing, which might work for you, but I just think it's nice to have that safe, steady guy there every single year, every single week.
2: No, it definitely helps, you know, and – I think for a lot of us, we've been bitten by the injury bug or suspension bug or, or the whatever the case bug. or the you holdout bug, Le'Veon whatever the case is. I, I did draft Le'Veon last year and didn't get to play him at all. You know, I kept him on the roster until about the second to last week of the season because I figured, yeah, he wasn't going to do anything. But, you know, the question for me is, man, who's going to be the new guy this year? Like every year we've seen someone step in was like, oh, I had I did not see Tariq Cohen coming like and then all of a sudden. You know he's projected to be one of the one of the best running backs in fantasy football this year. So I'm excited to see PPR
1: like, leagues at least.
2: Yeah, you know, well, you know, but so I'm excited to see who that guy is. But also because you know the the top of the draft can also be a, a bust. You know, you go out and get that guy, and then again, I, I there was one year where uh, I went out and got David Johnson, and then he got hurt, and so then I now I don't have a running back or at least a number one for most of the season. So I think those are the things that kind of you know plague you and, and my question is like wh- again who's going to be that guy at the running back position and how much of a step back does somebody like Patrick Mahomes take this year does he does he make a huge leap forward because when you lose a lot of offensive weapons or when you lose a weapon uh like Kareem Hunt you know in the in the backfield that kind of that can hurt you a little bit but he does still have Tariq Hill for whatever reason so i'm cur- i'm curious of if he's going to have The year a year similar to what he had, or now that there's some tape on Patrick Mahomes, uh, are the is the rest of the league going to kind of clamp down on that? Because that's the really the question I've got. He's not a sophomore, but that sophomore slump as a starter. I think now that there's some film on him, guys might be a little more. It could happen. Yeah, it could. He slowed down a little bit towards
3: last year, but that's what I imagine it would be more of what you saw at the beginning last or at towards the end of last year, as opposed to the beginning. Because the beginning he was off to an unrealistic pace, right? Um, in the end, he was still putting up elite numbers, but they were more like uh, what you would ex- expect out of a guy like Drew Brees. So that that's him coming down to earth. So I, you're you're looking at a guy that's still probably going to be easily a top five, top three quarterback in fantasy this year, barring injury. And
1: what's even on? if there's even if there's a downgrade on his play just because teams get used to it, the offense they run and his arm strength. And his accuracy, oh gosh, uh, he'll yeah. still put up crazy no, fantasy he's... points at least.
3: Well, and that, and that was kind of my logic last year in keeping Deshaun Watson was even if he he gives me 75% of what he did his rookie season before he got injured, you're going like, you're going okay, that's a guy who's still going to be a top 5 quarterback and guess what? He he gave about 75, 70% of what he did the year before and he was a top 5 quarterback, so you think about you you apply the same thing to Patrick Mahomes Damn. and you're still
2: and Watson missed like his first four games were terrible. They were you know, terrible the coming
3: back from from injury, and not to mention that offensive line has not been very good in Houston. You, you had a, a rotation at wide receiver. Um, luckily, you have basically right now the best wide receiver in the game in DeAndre Hopkins. But you know, Will Fur- Fuller getting injury, Kiki Cote constantly dealing with a hamstring injury, and so last year, what he did with what he had. Was amazing. And you think about now you you apply, like I said, the same kind of thing to Patrick Mahomes. OK, I think that regression came towards the last year because we didn't get to see that regression in in Watson's first year. Right. Because mm. he got hurt before that regression came right around the time that regression would come is when he got hurt because you, you, that film is there. So, Watson, you're going to see that regression this year? No, because you saw it last year, and I think that that's basically where he's going to be. He's going to be a, a top three, top five, even possibly the top quarterback this year.
1: This text yeah. says both the rookie running back in New England and the rookie running back in Philly are walking into really good situations. Uh, New England is a good situation. I wouldn't pick him for fantasy because, well, they've got like 100 running backs. Sony Michelle
3: use. is going to be the guy there. He, he proved it last year. But they
1: still have four other guys that they use regularly and James White and Rex Burkhead and all yes. those guys are still there. But the guy for Philly, his name is Miles Sanders. All they have right now are Jordan Howard and him. And Howard, although good at the goal line, we saw in Chicago, not exactly the most consistent running back. That could be a great pickup. And Miles Sanders is a guy who's a good change of pace back. But the other one I'm looking at here, and this is purely for the offense and the question marks, if you want rookie running backs, uh, Daryl Henderson for the Rams. Todd Gurley, we're not sure about his health. I mean, Todd Gurley really will be the work, workhorse back, but any guy you could draft late who could be a good handcuff but also in a really good offense like Henderson who averaged eight yards per carry last year a couple of years ago, I mean, whew, I would take that guy in a second late in the draft, late in the draft. That's a good young one I would look at.
2: I mean, there's really no one at this point that I'm like, okay, because I'm honestly, I, you have to do a lot of fantasy studying to make sure you know exactly which running backs to take. Like running backs and receivers – are the two that you really got to know your stuff. And honestly, I haven't read anything, you know, about any of the guys outside of the, the top 15, top 20. Rolling scrolling as you guys were talking. Yeah, That's, I, top,
1: that was my first research. You know, <laughs>
2: the top 15, top 20. Because, you know, every year there's someone that creeps in there. Like, I don't think anyone really saw Sonny Michel uh, being as good as he actually ended up being, you know, towards the middle of the season for the Patriots. And so, again, but taking a Patriots guy like Lynch was saying, it's tough because there is a game where James White can have – 100 yards and three touchdowns and then he won't play the next week. You know, so it's 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 be and I'm a Pats fan but be mindful when you draft a Patriot running back that there's a good chance that they might not play the next week depending on the situation.
3: If I'm in PPR, I have no problem drafting James White. Um any any setup I'm fine with Sony Michel. Honestly, Sony Michel showed so much last year. There's no way this guy doesn't get at least 2 thirds of the carries for the Patriots, you know, as long as he stays healthy this dynamic. year. dynamic Um, ESPN
1: fantasy disagrees with
3: you. Well, ESPN fantasy is also full of a bunch of idiots. All right. (laughs) Um, but if you're going to look at a guy at running back, um, rookie, I'm just going to, they're the obvious choices. Josh Jacobs at at Oakland. They, they just don't have anybody there. And so he's, he's probably the number one guy that you're going to look at as far as a rookie running back. That's going to give you back elite value. Um, behind that second is going to be David Montgomery out of Chicago. They, like you said, Jordan Howard now in Philadelphia, they don't have a short uh, yardage guy. Uh, Ma- David Montgomery fits that Matt Nagy system a little bit better. And that was the problem with Jordan Howard, which is why I think it's weird that he went to Philadelphia because guess what? Bo- both, both those head systems. coaches came mm-hmm. from, yes, the similar system. So that I, I'm not a big fan of, of Jordan Howard this year. David Montgomery, on the other hand, they're not going to use Tariq Cohen much differently than they have. Right, they they like using him in the running game. I mean, in the passing game, they don't like to use him between the tackles. That's why they brought in David PPR Montgomery. Running back, though. He is he's Tell very him. good in PPR. Um, but I think David Montgomery is going to be a guy that they are going to use in all phases. Remember, Josh, I'm uh, Jordan Howard got more action in the passing game last year. He was better in the passing game. David Montgomery even better than that. Um, I expect him to be a guy that's going to give you really good value. Um, where he's going to be taken as a rookie.
1: Well, there's a little teaser of what you can expect as we get closer to the year and into the season talking fantasy. I'm very excited for fantasy football this year. Uh, I do have some questions about my keepers, which we'll probably get to before my keeper deadline comes up just because it's a little bit tough in my league, but that's for down the road. Coming up next hour, we got hated or love it at 1030. I want to talk about Madden ratings, but let's start with the Tyreek Hill news. He will not be facing any sort of discipline from the NFL And he will be ready to go week one for the Chiefs. And that is a bit weird to me, I think, to a lot of people. This is Sports Sunday on The Fan.
0: You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.